Wonderful. Well, good morning, church. We're so glad that you all are here. My name is Katie. This is Kurt. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was waiting for it. I thought I could go for it, but it's cool. Um, but we're so glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, we're teaching today on one of our favorite topics to teach on, which is marriage. And uh, for those of you who've been tracking with us over the last three weeks, uh, we are week three in a series called Tribes, where we are journeying together through the idea of how our most uh, key and crucial relationships so often are the ones that transform and refine our lives the most. And so as we kind of pull the curtain back on marriage, not only our own marriage, but marriage as, as God through his word uh, reveals it to us, we're excited to just continue this journey uh, with you today. And uh, marriage is one of those most intimate tribes that we experience this side of heaven. And perhaps some of us in this room, I know as we talk about marriage, there might be a lot of mixed feelings, uh, maybe miss different kinds of experiences that you had growing up when it came to marriage and, and what that looked like in your own family or in your own story. I uh, know for me, I grew up um, in a blended family, which I don't think we called it that back then, but that's what we call it now. And it seems to be more the norm of what families experience um, these days is that uh, the intact parents still married, still together um, is becoming more and more rare. And so as we look at this, as we look at um, what this picture of marriage is that we not only experience ourselves, but aspire to to hope for one day. I remember just being a, a young girl, you know, in my teenage years, just being so mesmerized by the whimsical idea of, of marriage and the words of Audrey Hepburn who said, if I ever get married, I want to be very married. And so, you know, in your young mind as a child, I know for many of us, we probably have many different messages and many different things that we receive that form our view uh, of marriage. And so as much as Hollywood and our culture glams up and uh, romanticizes marriage as this like ultimate goal, um, we've, we've got, it's got to make us wonder, what does God actually say about it? What is his heart for us? What does he speak into that hardwired desire that we have to be united with another person? And so uh, we see in the scriptures from the very beginning, you know, God sets the scene where he creates marriage. Uh, he speaks his intended hope and goal into being that the man and the woman would become one flesh. This idea of oneness, of, of one flesh, that is something that we see from the get-go uh, as God's heart for marriage. Yeah, and we all think about marriage differently. Like even now as a married couple, maybe you're married, you have thoughts about what your marriage could be or should be. If you have been married previously, you have thoughts about what you want your next marriage to be like. For those of you that are single or engaged and pursuing marriage uh, or you're younger and, and dating and not yet married, you have this picture of the future of what you imagine marriage could be. And we all have these thoughts about marriage. Even men think about marriage and imagine our marriages in the future. And I remember when we were dating, uh, you know, I was thinking about marriage and what I imagined and hoped and dreamed marriage would be like. Uh, and all of my dreams, I didn't realize this at the time, but all of my dreams about marriage revolved around me. I'm looking for someone to <laughs> meet my needs, looking for someone to fit into my plan for my life, someone looking for someone that's going to be the perfect person mm. for me. And, and in my upbringing, I was never taught how to become the perfect person for someone else, at least not directly. And yet when we get married or get remarried and we explore this idea in a, in a real relationship with a real person, yeah. right, we all have those hopes and dreams and desires, but for many of us, we don't know how, we've never been taught how to communicate them, and those desires that seem perfectly reasonable to us can sometimes feel extraordinarily unreasonable to our partner, mm -hmm. and they can become the breeding ground for unspoken expectation, which can lead to bitterness and frustration, even settling in our marriages, just saying, well, this is as good as it's ever going to be. I don't know what the big deal was. I know everybody's talking about it. It's not that great, right? Or even giving up potentially on the idea of marriage altogether. And yet what I hope we discover today as we journey through some of our story, the scriptures, uh, learning from the good, the bad, the challenging, uh, the seasons of our life, that we would all leave today with an idea of how 
God describes marriage and what his mm-hmm. desire is for all of us as we pursue, like you said, this most mm-hmm. important and most intimate of tribes. Yeah, and as we acknowledge that every single one of us has a story, has an upbringing, has our own feelings that we bring into when we sit in a seat and are about to hear or talk about <laughs> a talk on marriage, and that's okay, right? Marriage uh, is so difficult, right? We see this happening in our culture. It's so difficult that I think the national average now is that like one in every two marriages ends uh, in divorce, and even among those that call themselves followers of Jesus, um, then we need to be okay asking this question and talking about this question of what is the point? You know, why does God care? Why should we care? If marriage is hard, let's, let's be honest. Let's be uh, brave. Let's talk about those aspects of marriage that are tricky because we see throughout God's word, his heart is for marriage to be something that helps us become more like Jesus. God's heart is not for marriage to be something that breaks hearts, that leaves us feeling more broken uh, or more confused. And so um, when it comes to that question of what, what is the point, uh, what, what is God's heart about marriage? One of my favorite authors and speakers, theologians, therapists, he's, he's got many a calling on his life. He's brilliant. Um, but he writes this about the purpose of marriage. Uh, his name is Dan Allender. And he says, the goal of marriage is twofold, to reveal the glory of God and to enhance the glory of one's spouse. Uh, Now, when I read those words, and, you know, I've read those words for many years now, and this is kind of one of those, like, crucial uh, marriage lines that just slays me every time. It it makes me sit up in my seat a little little taller. It makes me kind of take a deep breath and think back to 12 years ago when we exchanged these vows to one another, you know, made the kinds of promises that we know are going to take a lifetime to accomplish. There's a lifetime of refining to actually live up to those promises that we made um, on that hot day in July. But when I read something like this and see, wow, to reveal the glory of God and to enhance the glory of this person I pledged my life to, uh, I know I need God. <laughs> I know I need God in order to make that uh, a reality in our life. So I'm so excited we're talking about it. Yeah, today. I mean, that <laughs> phrase is intimidating. Yeah. I mean, like, when, when you think about getting married, I don't, I don't know if that's what anyone ever goes for. You know, I really no. want to reveal the glory of God right. and elevate the glory of my spouse. Like, <laughs> when we were in college thinking about, you know, getting married or dating and got engaged, it was like, well, we wanted to be happy. Yeah, I mean, that was the reason we got married. We want to be happy. <laughs> we love each and other. We love each other. This is great. This is fun. It's always going to be fun and great and awesome, right? That's what we thought. And, <laughs> and yet, for many of us, we enter into a marriage relationship with this idea that it's going to make us happy. And, and there is a truth that marriage will add joy and value to your life in a different way than perhaps any other relationship. Yeah. However, if the goal of being married is simply to be happy... Then when you find yourself in a season where that season can be a one-night season where you have a fight or even a month or even a a longer prolonged season where things just aren't clicking the way they used to, and you find yourself in a season where you are no longer Mm. happy, you will wonder if you you are doing marriage wrong. Mm. Or you will wonder if you chose the wrong partner. Or you will wonder if this is actually, you know, what was the big deal? Why was everybody so excited about this? And many of us at seasons in our life yeah. and even make choices that, that represent this for, for long periods of our life, that when we run after happiness, we find that it's a short-sighted goal, especially in relationships. And there's nothing wrong with being happy, right? Pharrell made a lot of money on that song. Um, <laughs> but happiness is not the goal of yeah. marriage because it will find us being left wanting. But actually, like Katie said, wholeness or oneness is actually the goal, God's goal for you, for your marriage is to pursue wholeness. And so then even those seasons that are painful, that are difficult, where you're working to see the other person, where you aren't happy on the surface, can actually lead to tremendous growth and transformation that leads your marriage more towards God's goal for you, which is oneness and wholeness. And so uh, this idea might sound brand new for some of you. And it was just as brand new and revolutionary uh, in the first century when Paul specifically writes about this to the Ephesian culture. We talked about this the first week of this series, that the culture of Ephesus in the first century was really even hard for us to really understand how different it is from now. We talked about how the Ephesian culture totally disvalued what we would see as 
family, that women and children were seen as property of men in the first century in Ephesian culture. Uh, and when it came to marriage, as we look at it, we have to understand that there's this new concept that Paul is introducing to this culture that reflects what he learned from Jesus, what this Jesus way that had revolutionized his life. He is now inserting that and writing to these people in Ephesus about how they are to do their relationships, specifically their most intimate tribes with marriage and parenting, uh, in a new way that reflects the person and life of Jesus. And he talks about this idea of submission. And this idea of submission that actually models back to Jesus' life, saying that you and I actually reflect how we care about God by how we treat other people. This was revolutionary and a brand new concept in that culture, and even revolutionary today, that your uh, you know, adoration and reverence and, and, and passion for God is best demonstrated by how you treat other people. See, in, in Ephesian culture, there was no sense of like relational morality. You didn't, their gods, the mythology that they believed in and worshipped, you, you didn't treat other people to help them you know, feel good about you. You made sacrifices. How you treat other people was a non-issue, and yet Paul, because of how Jesus had transformed his life, mm. brings this idea of how you and I interact with each other collectively in the deepest relationships mm. and intimate relationships of marriage and even as parents, which we're going to look at next week, actually reflects how we see mm. and respond to Jesus. So we actually become more like Jesus when we serve, mm. defer, elevate, yeah. support, submit to, and enhance our spouse. Yeah, and, you know, another aspect of Ephesian culture that uh, many of these new followers that Paul was writing to at this time, uh, they were likely recovering from a pretty gnarly practice that existed in that culture at that time. Um, it was a practice of worshiping the goddess of fertility and engaging in temple prostitution. This was something that was rampant through Ephesian culture, um, and it was very oppressive. It was a very abusive culture, especially to women. Uh, women were undereducated um, or not educated at all. They were thought of as property. Uh, they were used as just a commodity for religious manipulation. And so trying to put yourselves in this culture, um, which sounds like a nightmare, so why would you? But, but to really understand some of the depth of what Paul is writing to, to these people, uh, they were dealing with legitimate trauma. Uh, there was PTSD, they didn't have that word for it back then, but the, the community of faith that are coming into this hope and this message of Jesus were also carrying massive baggage, massive wounds into this community as they're trying to figure out what is this Jesus way? What, what does marriage look like after that has been my upbringing and my mindset for all these years? And so um, we want to take into account how radical these words are that we're about to read together. Um, that, that Paul is giving a brand new framework to this community. They're helping them to understand uh, God's intention for marriage, and it is a completely new thought to them. Um, there's not, they're not living in a, a modern society like we live in today where equality is much more of a value. Um, that didn't exist. That was actually something that Jesus, in fact, set into motion 2,000 plus years ago that now, in some ways, so many ways, we get to experience the benefit of that. But in this in this culture, they were very much still stumbling and fumbling their way through some pretty intense stuff. Yeah, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If not, there's a blue Bible in the seat back pocket directly in front of you. Uh, and if you use this Bible, it's on page 569. And again, throughout the entire chapter of Ephesians 5, Paul is writing, how are we to do life in community? And he gives all of these encouragements and challenges and he gets to the end of this kind of long, extraordinarily uh, verbose run-on sentence. Again, preachers have a tendency to talk a lot. Um, <laughs> really? That's shocking. Um, and he, and he kind of sums up this entire thought in this phrase in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, as the backdrop that we're going to look at for all of how we're to do community with one another. But then he specifically goes into how that works out in marriage. And he says this, and further, submit to one another, there's that word, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He ties this idea of submission, of me saying, hey, actually, you go first. Hey, actually, let's do it your way. Hey, I, I, would, I would love to defer to you and learn about how you think and what you want to do. He actually ties that back to our connection mm. and, and trust and reverence for Jesus. Yeah. And then he goes on. Yeah, and Paul continues to spell it out. Okay, 
Here's this charge for all of you. But then for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. All right, now ladies, uh, just to speak to us for a minute, uh, this is not about setting up a hierarchy or, or chain of command kind of thing. Uh, in this, in the context that Paul is writing to these uh, men and women, uh, this was revolutionary to women. The fact that uh, women actually had a choice to submit uh, to their husband and, and not just going with the assumption of the day, which was to submit to any man or to submit to all men, but to your husband, uh, creating a, a picture for them, a choice of here is another way that you can live. You actually have a choice to live into this. Uh, see, Paul is painting a bigger picture here of a God reality uh, that we get a glimpse of when we step into an earthly posture of submission to Jesus. And so by loving, by sacrificing for, uh, by serving and respecting our spouse, uh, we actually demonstrate the love of Jesus to him. Um, so now personally, like, I'm going to be the first to admit here for a moment, uh, submitting is not my natural, like, strength. That's not, like, one of my number one personality attributes. Um, I daily struggle with control and self-dependence. And so if you're sitting there and you're feeling, wow, that S word is really making me kind of want to break out in an allergic reaction, um, it's okay. You're in a safe space because we want to talk about some of these aspects of scripture that are challenging, right? It's challenging in the day uh, that it was written. It's challenging in our day today. Um, and so I want us to keep reading, though, because I want to see Paul's challenge to husbands. And my hunch, my hope is that as we keep reading, the Holy Spirit is going to continue to illuminate a fuller picture, a more complete picture of this kind of love that might actually move us to want to joyfully submit when we see it as something that it's because of a freedom it's because of a choice it's because of a new jesus way so let's keep reading and see yeah. what paul has to say to the men now and again the specificity of that is simply to this is the charge for all of us in all of our relationships is to be mm -hmm. submissive to one another out of reverence for christ that's the example and then for husbands he goes on jump down says, for husbands this means love your wives just as christ loved the church now, push pause there for just a second. There is actually no way to accurately depict how far removed from our current understanding of marriage this would have felt. Because in first century Ephesus, marriage and love had nothing to do with each other. I can imagine this first church getting this letter from Paul and the men in the back raising their hand going, uh, marriage, what's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. Got to do with it. Um, because marriage was a contract. It was, it was a property ownership. And so Paul instructs, because of this connection to Jesus, this idea that husbands, you are to love and care for, to watch out for your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He goes on, because we're dense and we don't get it. He goes, so what did Christ do for the church? He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed her with the cleansing of God's word. He did, not he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she would be holy and without fault. And so in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love to himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it and care for it. Gentlemen, he's not wrong. You're going to eat extra bacon on that burger? Yes, please. Whipped cream and cherry on a milkshake? Of course. I'll have another. Right? We feed ourselves and care for ourselves. And so just as Christ cared for the church and we are members of his body, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And so here's the challenge, gentlemen, specifically if you're married. The, the image that God has for your interaction with your spouse is one that you would put yourself and your desires and the things that, that you want to do at such a low level that it would be as if you entirely died to your own agenda. That was revolutionary then. It's challenging now. And if you're hearing that going, sure, me too. This is so extraordinarily challenging. This ideal of what marriage is meant to look like, that this 
concept would actually be related, not to some idea, not to some philosophical conjecture, but specifically it's linked back to the person and the life of Jesus. That as we watch how Jesus engages with us, that he gave his life when we had nothing to offer him other than he desired to be in relationship, that he didn't demand his own way, but so often modeled a life of service, even to the very end of the point of death on a cross, as Paul writes in Philippians, that that would be our charge. And he goes on three times as long for men in the original Greek language as he does for women because it takes us three times as long, mostly, I think. It's a theological principle. Um, but just to help us understand the gravity of this, that, that we submit to one another in general community, but specifically when you have pledged your life to someone, that you are to offer yourself for them. And not in the like, oh, I would die for you, totally, babe. Like, <laughs> like on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. Like in your schedule. Like in your anger. Mm. In, in your desires. In your sexual intimacy. In how you fight and fight fair. In how you show up and share in conversations when you would much rather watch the game. That we actually give up our own way mm. to elevate and glorify our spouse. And so men... If you've ever heard the phrase, yeah, you know, wives need to submit, if you've ever said that, be very careful. Mm. Because while that might be true, the challenge for us that's equally true in Scripture is, and you need to die. Like this is the picture that God paints for marriage. Mm. Almost impossible. Mm. Uh, truly, on our own, certainly impossible. It would take nothing less than a miracle and the power of God at work in our life. And isn't that amazing how we, we completely miss the point if we just see this as a hierarchy of who's more in charge kind of statement, right? The heart of this passage is to challenge us into this kind of oneness, right? Oneness between husband and wife. And for Jesus himself, right, when this dynamic is at play in our marriage and we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, there is a sacred and divine exchange that is also happening Something that God is doing to refine and build our character as his followers as we demonstrate to one another what this looks like. And so for all of us, this challenge is pretty clear that mutual submission in marriage displays both the power and beauty in marriage. I don't want you to miss that. Mutual submission in a marriage displays both the power, all the strength that it requires that is outside of of our own strength, that there is a God dynamic, that we can't do this without him. There's that power. And then there's the beauty of if we really live this out, we show the world a picture of marriage that is beyond anything that the world could want or need or see. Because, you know, as Kurt just said, like, there is something miraculous. And, and when I think of it, I think of, like, okay, selfish sinner number one right here, exhibit A, selfish sinner number two right over here, but we learn to love one another in a way that reveals the glory of God. I think about that for your own marriage. Selfish sinner number one, selfish sinner number two. Okay, revealing the glory of God. Uh, that's not just powerful and beautiful. That is miraculous. That is a miracle when we experience God do something like that. Because that takes the power of God in order to live it out fully. And I think that's why in the scriptures the idea of marriage is often used with this mm. word of covenant. Mm. And, and actually in the scriptures throughout the entire Bible, the word covenant is only used to describe two different kinds of relationships. One is God relation, God's relationship with people, mm. you and me, and our relationship as married couples is described mm. as a covenant. And this turns everything inside out and upside down for us. Because so much of our world is based on contractual mm. agreements. And we can easily find this in our marriages, where it's just, this is just human effort. If I don't like it, i got to work harder. Or the initial attraction wears off after years, and you're like, mm. i probably got to get a new agreement, you know. And, and, and yet, so for many of us, when it comes to this idea, seeing it as a different type of relationship is so crucial. And, and this is true as you're entering into marriage. So for those of you that aren't married, I hope this is helpful. And even for those of you that have been married for years, you may re recognize after today, hey, I've been living in a contractual marriage. No wonder I'm not satisfied. And you can begin to make 
a change. Because, see, a contract is what we're used to in our world, right? You make contracts perhaps all the time in your business, uh, even in your family. You, know, you do these chores. You get this allowance, right? You have them with your kids. You have them uh, at work. You can have them with your spouse. But a contract asks the question, what do you owe me? Mm. What do you owe me? And yet a covenant asks the question, mm. what does love require of me? Mm. A contract says, what do you owe me? You owe me something. I may have never even communicated <laughs> to you what I expect you to give me, mm-hmm. but you owe me something. What a covenant says, what does love require of me? And it mm-hmm. elevates the conversation. If you get nothing else out of today, exactly. if you just simply begin in your marriage, in your own life, to ask the second question, your marriage will improve. Mm-hmm. You will improve. Mm-hmm. And you're 50% in your marriage. Right, in every relationship even, to ask the question, what does love require of me, will actually improve your life. Because, see, when you have the question, what do you owe me, you actually can never receive anything when someone owes you something. See, if you owe me money, you can't give me money. If you owe me $100 and you bring me $100, I go, you fulfilled your obligation. I'm not grateful. There's no, you know, building of the relationship. You completed your obligation. In fact, if you give me $50, I wonder where the rest is <laughs> and think about charging you interest. And so and we laugh, but imagine that in the context of our relationships. Mm. If your spouse owes you something and they offer you something, you actually don't receive it as love. Mm. It's challenging. Right, so when we look at this idea of a covenant versus a contract, mm. this is the essence of what it means to be in a Christian marriage. I don't know how you were raised or what you were told uh, by someone even in, in this you know, kind of a setting, but perhaps you, like me, were raised think a Christian marriage is some sort of categorical explanation where we follow a certain set of guidelines. And while there are plenty of those things that are worth listening to, ultimately a Christian marriage is a submission contest. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to outserve the other, out-sacrifice the other, intentionally trying to put the other person in our relationship before ourselves and in any healthy relationship mm. instead of this sense of you owe me it's this sense of what can i offer and again this is simple to talk about yes and really challenging to do mm. like it's it's easy when everything's fine and you're you agree on the same stuff or you know you're in that first year of marriage and like totally babe whatever you want like you're on your honeymoon everything's good or it's a great date mm. and Nobody spilled anything, and I chewed my <laughs> mouth closed, and <laughs> sex was great, you know, or whatever it was. Right? It's easy then, but mm. what happens when you're in the same fight over and over again? Mm. And, and you've asked him over and over again, and he just won't seem to listen. Gosh, I know. Theoretically speaking. <laughs> like, what happens when he keeps staying at work later? She keeps, keeps spending money on things that you don't care about. What, what happens when she keeps running to her mom and, and you don't feel like you have a voice in the conversation? What happens mm-hmm. uh, when over the seasons of life, things get in the way of you connecting and finding that oneness? And it might even be good things like work and kids and schedules and things that you brought into your life by yeah. choice, but yet they can mm. create division and create separation. What happens then? Mm. Because in a contract, you say, if you do, I will. If you pay your phone bill, they keep your service running. <laughs> but a covenant says, because of what Jesus did, I will. And that stands no matter what your partner does. Mm. And I know when I say that, something in all of us, myself included, goes, yeah, but, but what about? Yeah. Like, what about my, that sounds great. And, mm. You know, you're a pastor, and, and I'm sure everything's fine in your marriage. But, like, you know, what, what about when real life happens and that's where the rubber really meets the road yeah yeah so we want to talk about that a little bit we uh you know i'm guessing you know for us we definitely have moments of like gosh how are we having this same fight again have you ever been frustrated that you get into these same patterns of tension uh in your marriage or in key relationships for those of you that that aren't married you know we all have opportunities on the daily uh to practice what does this mutual submission actually look like in real life? Um, and the truth is, is that a fight, a, a moment of conflict or tension, is simply an opportunity to grow in oneness. 
of in mutual submission and of deeper intimacy. So often we think like, oh my gosh, if we get in a fight or if I really say what's on my mind or if I really pull back the curtain and get honest about what's bothering me, that means we're not doing it right. If we're fighting, that is a threat to our marriage when in fact, you know, you've got to think about it as like, you know, when there's an emergency and, and a an emergency service person breaks a, a, a flare to show off the light to say, here's, here's where the emergency is, here's where the problem is. In our fights, so often that is the emergency flare that we break. When the sparks are flying, when the light is illuminating everything that's going on in the unseen business of our world, that is simply illuminating the area where we need grace, where we need transformation, where we need Jesus to show up. And so those are the moments where we actually want to lean in instead of pull back instead of resist instead of not go there for the sake of keeping the peace the invitation in the mutual submission is to actually say okay where are these tensions where's the pain points here in this and and let's talk about it let's bring that into the light in fact so often uh this idea of mutual submission and experiencing deeper oneness it so often starts with simply seeing each other uh, that sounds so basic um, and it's so easy to to have the seeing each other get lost in our marriage. I know in the early days when it was, you know, we didn't have as much responsibility and it was new and we were living together for the first time and everything was awesome, um, you know, it was still challenging at, at times too. But, but now as the complexity of life piles on, it can be so much harder to see one another, to clean off the mirror, so to speak, to say, okay, how can I see what's really there? Um, and so as we see each other, the next challenge is to grow in our awareness of needs. And this is where the courage comes in. This is where the bravery to say, I feel hurt, or I want this from you, or I want you to not do this, or I need to be seen in this way, or I need to confess that this is an area where I'm struggling in our marriage. This is where the real deal intimacy gets kickstart and so many couples get caught up in this okay I'm clearly seeing that something's not right let's just either jump to like make up quick and brush over the real problems but these are the steps that it takes to get there to truly see one another to grow in our awareness of needs and the more that becomes commonplace in our marriages the more we're asking the questions the more we're taking the courageous step even to sometimes be the first one to say hey I see you hurting over this. Can we talk about, is there a way I can love you more? Is there a way that, that I can know a little bit more about what you need right now while this is hard? Then we start to get to this point where we can anticipate the needs of the other. So starting with seeing, then growing in awareness of needs, then growing to a place where we're experiencing more oneness. We're understanding each other on a deeper level. We're anticipating the needs of the other. And then finally that leads to just increasing intimacy when we're willing to show up and do the work and even invite someone else in if a counselor or a professional or a mediator or other family whatever it is that we need to be willing to do the work to truly deal with reality and see what those needs are that is ultimately what this oneness and mutual submission is all about because every one of us would probably raise our hand and say yes i want an intimate marriage i want a great marriage but the truth is is it doesn't just happen by accident. It takes such intentional work. It takes so much time and paying attention. And so maybe for you, you're, you're looking at that or you're looking at your own marriage and thinking, man, there's so many times in my marriage where things were hard or we endured a loss or a setback or financially we just, we weren't making it happen. And that was maybe a time that actually drew you closer together. Maybe the opposite was true. Maybe when a struggle or a hard time or an unmet expectation came, it drove you apart. And for us to acknowledge what are the different seasons of our marriage, where have we traveled together, where have we experienced things together, and to have the courage to kind of name it and to say, man, God, I see you at work here. Because if we're not paying attention, so often we can, without even realizing, be going uh, in separate directions. And one of the things that are so fascinating about how God grows our soul is that we get this picture of nature, right, where growth happens in seasons. And spiritual growth, relationship growth, so often mimics nature and that 
there are seasons. It's cyclical. And oftentimes we can nurture just like you would fertilize your lawn or water plants. There's things you can do to nurture growth. Um, there's things you can do to nurture a relationship. Um, but there's also just the natural part of it that's outside of our control that is God tending to our souls. And so the truth is, is that the seasons of a marriage, right, the seasons of a marriage can produce the fruit of resilience, a strength, a strength of character, or they can produce the fruit of resistance. And that's true from our marriage. That's true of, of every marriage. And for those of you who are currently married, I want to ask, you know, what kind of fruit are you ex- currently experiencing in this season of marriage? For those of you that, that aren't married, um, even if you're dating or engaged or not in a relationship at all, you, you probably have key relationships. You probably have uh, a family member or close friends that, that hopefully you're, you're doing community, you're doing life with on a deeper level. You can ask these same kinds of questions about those kinds of relationships, even if you're not in a marriage. So you talk about like the fruits of resistance, which mm-hmm. are if we're pushing away from something, yeah. and fruits of resilience that may not always even be positive yeah. and feel good necessarily, but mm-hmm. they produce a better result to withstand certain mm-hmm. challenges or circumstances. What would those look like? What would be a fruit of resistance in a marriage, or what would be mm-hmm. a fruit of resilience? Yeah, I mean, a fruit of resistance, you know, might be those moments where you see yourself growing apart. Maybe there's hiding. Maybe there's blame. Um, even some of the more destructive uh, things like infidelity or, or abuse or distrust. Uh, you know, over time, if a marriage withstands too much resistance, that inability to, to come back from and to see one another, uh, those things that, that tear a marriage apart, um, you know, would be those, those resistance types of fruits. Whereas, you know, resilience, like you said, even enduring a loss, you know, even grieving well can be an, a, th- a fruit that a couple can endure together that can actually produce resilience, can make you stronger. Uh, healthy conflict resolution um, is something that a fruit of, of resilience would be marked by uh, joy, fun, you know, even the, the posit- on the positive sides of things, vulnerability, gentleness, um, supporting one another in spiritual growth. Um, you know, to name a few, I can think of ways that we've experienced different seasons uh, like that in our own marriage, where even hard things uh, bring this resilience. Um, God but that knows. takes to seeing the goal is not mm-hmm. just happiness, but like you mm-hmm. said, oneness, and, and finding that almost anything that you choose for it to be can be a tool mm-hmm. and a training for you to become more of the couple that God invites us to become. And actually, like you said, there are things that we can do to change that perspective. And Paul encourages the church in Galatia in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap. And for many of us, when it comes to this marriage idea, the thought of having these conversations can be scary. Yeah. It can be challenging. There is something rising up in you, a resistance to even turning around and doing something different or admitting that you don't know all that you mm-hmm. wish you knew about your spouse. And you could ask this question, like, what do you need from me right now? Hey, mm-hmm. when I look at you, I usually want to love you the way I want to be loved. And that may mm-hmm. not be connecting. So how do I actually see you? And it says, don't, don't be weary. Like, this, this isn't going to be easy all the time. It might take work. But let us continue to do every do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. And I would add, especially to those in your house. It will bless you. Mm. So to do good to your spouse by asking good questions, by Mm. being willing to say, help me grow forward. Mm. And when you ask this question, your your spouse might be shocked. They may not know Mm. what to say. They might be like, sure, you're just saying that because they told you to do that at church. So wait a week so you get the points, (laughs) right? Um, You know, your, your spouse might be like, we've been married for 20 years. How do you not know? But you don't know. And so that's why you're asking And that's actually a really healthy, good thing. So even when we're afraid of it, we can be terrified to talk about this. To to still take the courage to have an honest Mm -hmm. conversation is so important for a healthy relationship. All of us want a healthy marriage. 
But are we able to step forward and say, this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, am I secure in who God has said he is to me that I can say to you, I want to learn what you need. And, and that looks different in different seasons, mm-hmm. like you said. And, and, and it, that can change as we grow along. Mm-hmm. And we've had that. I mean, we've had one marriage, but four different versions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we look at the seasons of our marriage, you know, we've been together for 12 years, married for 12 years, together for a little bit longer. You know, it, it seems like every sort of like three or four years, God brought us to a new season, and a cool thing that our um, counselor actually walked us through and kind of challenged us to do uh, when we were in a really difficult spot of our marriage, she challenged us to go back to each season of our marriage and to come up with a way of naming that season, uh, to give words, to get la- to give language to what God was doing in our souls at that time. And for our first three years, uh, we call that the, the newlywed bliss season, uh, where everything was new, where we had m- just recently moved away from home, so there was this homesickness, but we were also establishing our new roots as a family, as a couple. Um, then we had you know, our next season where we uh, moved to a new city, where we were on this adventure of uh, starting a church. And coming alongside some friends on one of the greatest adventures of our life that required more of us, more faith, more sacrifice, um, more financial instability. Uh, And that was a time that we named as Adventure and Grit. We were in a new city. We were like untethered to kids and, you know, the kinds of responsibilities. So we were like, let's run a marathon. Sweet. Awesome. Let's, you know, and we were just embracing every kind of adventure uh, that we could embrace. And so God was up to something cool in that season as well, you know. And then, you know, we moved into another season after that was our season of the valley, um, a season of, of brokenness where God seemed, you know, in our minds, in our view of the story at that mo- moment in time, God seemed to be breaking apart everything that seemed strong about our marriage and we were in a crisis of faith and it was kind of weird because we worked at a church and so when you have a crisis of faith as someone who uh, helps others and it's your job to help others experience God uh, it was a huge time of transformation for us as we were wrestling with infertility and loss and at the same time God was doing something miraculous in the next season, you know, that, that that breaking down in one season leads to then, you know, our fourth little season that we named as Restored Hope, um, where God built a family, that this foundation that through adventure and risk and all of this, he was building a foundation to what would be strengthened in a new way through him. And so our hope is that uh, each and every one of you um, whether you're in a, a marriage that feels strong and healthy or whether you're in a season right now where you could say, oh, yeah, that crisis you were talking about, that, that sounds a little bit like my marriage. Or maybe it's a marriage that ended. Or maybe it's a marriage that, that you don't have yet but you're hoping for so you can still do this exercise and, and look at some of these seasons of maybe your family upbringing or some of those key core relationships. And so this is a little uh, homework assignment as we kind of shared with you guys um, the seasons of our marriage, this is something that we would invite and encourage you to do maybe on your next date night, uh, maybe tonight as you wind down for the day while it's still fresh in your mind. Uh, but it just walks you through a couple of ways to, to name the seasons of what God has done in your marriage. It'll prompt you to, to write what was going on in your lives, what was going on in your marriage at that time, and what kind of fruit grew in your marriage at that time. And so we hope that will be a way for you to take sort of what we're talking about today and apply that and take that into some deeper spaces in your own journey. And the benefit that comes from that is you get to really see a full picture of all that actually Mm -hmm. still affects you. And and it may lead to sharing new learnings. It may lead to offering forgiveness. It may lead Mm -hmm. to simply understanding how God has brought you to where you are so that maybe you get a fresh start in the same marriage, that it can revive and renew something in your story. Because our 
our hope is that no matter that case study, where you're at, whether you're thriving or you're struggling, whether you feel like your marriage is hitting on all cylinders mm. or your marriage has had the check engine light on for a long time, mm. our prayer is that you know you're in a community of people that are trying to figure this thing out together mm. and that all of us are different seasons of our journey and seasons of our marriage, but that we are here ultimately because we are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that there were so many people before we got married throughout every season of our marriage uh, that walked with us, that held us when we couldn't hold ourselves. One of them's in the front row. Mm. And when you have a community of people that actually help you see yourself and see your spouse, that perhaps some of you, you could be that gift to a younger couple in our church mm. or a struggling couple in our church mm. to say, I remember, and there is hope on the other side. Because mm. at the end of the day, we're here to give the world a picture of God's glory. Mm. So when you see your marriage from that perspective, mm. while it raises the bar almost out of reach, the good news is, is that the Holy Spirit of God wants to empower you, comfort you, challenge you, and grow you to actually be able to model that to other people. And so uh, if this is interesting for you and even beyond this uh, worksheet, there's a number of books out on the table as you leave uh, that we would recommend that have been helpful in our journey um, that we would encourage you to check out if that would be something you'd like to do or do a deeper study on as a couple or perhaps in a group. Mm -hmm. um, but we hope you know that the God of the universe is for your marriage in whatever state mm. it's in. He's for you. Mm. And that your marriage is actually designed to be a reflection of his love for you, which was best represented in Jesus coming to earth and saying, I'm going to give my life mm. for you when you could do nothing in return. You don't owe me anything. I'm going to lay it down by my choice mm. because I desire you. And so we hope that you will take the responsibility to, you, to do your part in your marriage. Because in every relationship that you're in, 50% of it is 100% your responsibility. 50% of every relationship you're in is 100% your responsibility. And so we hope and challenge you that you would take that up. And so we want to pray for you. We want to pray for those of you that are married uh, and pray that as a, as a body, as a people, that yeah. our church would reflect God's goodness yeah. through our relationships. So would you yeah. pray for us? We would love to pray. I'm going to invite uh, you all to just stand. And uh, as we pray, for those of you that are married and are maybe sitting next to the person you're married to, I'm going to just invite you to hold uh, that person's hand. And as you're holding that person's uh, hand, I also want to just invite you to hold your other hand out. And as we just pray for this idea of submitting uh, to one another, we acknowledge that we're also submitting to, to God. And so that other hand that is out is just a symbol to say, God, we are submitting to you ultimately as we submit to one another. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you challenge us through your word, not with things that are easy to do when it comes to marriage, but God, you challenge us with things that are for our growth so that we can become more and more like your son, Jesus. And God, you actually believe in us. You actually pour out your spirit to those of us that want to follow you. You equip us with everything that we could possibly need to submit to and love and commit our lives to our spouse. And so, Lord God, I pray for every man, for every woman in this room, God, for every marriage that feels like it's thriving and for every marriage that feels like we don't know how we're going to make it through another week, Lord, I pray Jesus, that your spirit would rush in, that hope would rush in, that you would give new strength, that you would give new eyes to see, that you would give every couple in this church a hunger for deeper awareness of one another, and deeper awareness of what you're doing in their lives. God, for every person in this room that is longing to be married one day, or is hoping or is looking for you, looking to you to provide that person in their lives. God, would you strengthen them? Would you give them hope? God, for every person that is walking through the pain of divorce or the pain of loss of a spouse, God, would you mend broken hearts? 
Would you restore lives? Would you restore wholeness? God, we are your people. Thank you for every person in this room that is exploring you and is still just getting to know you, Lord, as we prepare to sing and worship you, Lord. Would you flood our hearts with your grace and your love and your restoration power? pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're so glad that you're here today. We're going to continue in worship as we get to sing. But also the thing that we love to do as an act of worship is to receive an offering. And it's a space for those of us that call this church home to give generously back to God, not to pay him off or pay him back, right? That's not the kind of relationship we have with God, but it's a way for us to invest in what he is doing in this space. And for those of you that do that, that you give generously and consistently, we just want to say thank you for creating a space where marriages can be restored, where people can find hope to try again. And so there's four ways you can do that. In a moment, our volunteers are going to come down your aisle and pass a bucket your way. Uh, you can give that way. You can text the number on the screen behind us and any amount. You can set up online giving. That's how our family chooses to do it, uh, to be consistent and, and just to worship God that way. Or as you leave, there's a kiosk at the back on the table that you can give. Uh, but we just want to say for those of you that have contributed to making this place a space of hope, thank you. Truly, thank you. There are stories that you may never know of people who are at the end of their rope in their marriage or in some other part of their life because of what God did here that you helped to be a part of that story and draw them to a bigger story they would say thank you if they could so we want to say that on their behalf so thank you for giving let's sing and worship our prayer team as always is available at the prayer wall in the back so let's give God all that we have today Where I be 